Welcome back to a new episode. Today's guest is familiar to you if you attended the DeFi learning with Tangle C in IOTypes. But if you're not, then you'll get the chance to meet him today. Uh, his name is Chip. Uh, he has a very deep knowledge about DeFi and everything around it, uh, as well as being a founder of uh, ApeSwap. He has his own podcast, AFLabs, you name it. Um, so happy to, uh, to welcome him to the podcast. Welcome, mate. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks, Thomas, and, and thanks for having me. Really excited to to talk shop today, especially on a day like today with the market being in the condition <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's not a good day, is it? Oh, no, it's pretty black. Mm. Yeah, I've been sitting for the last two hours just watching it, and like, like the girlfriend just like, is something wrong? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, babe, things are going exactly as planned. Everything is fine. So, yeah. Um, but before we head on to the to the um, questions, could you just uh, talk a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, so my name is Chip. I'm the co-founder of Ape Labs and a member of ApeSwap's core team. Very, very long time proponent of cryptocurrency uh, in DeFi. My first uh, Bitcoin buy was under a hundred bucks. I uh, thought it was really cool and, and sold it for a quick 2x. Uh, this is like 2013, mm. 2014. Uh, and then I, I left the space for a few years and came back in early 2017 and mined Ethereum and mined Monero and went through you know the, the 2017 run and uh, sort of uh, bear market that followed. And I, I worked on a team during that run uh, as well. And I've been sort of in the space, you know, in various capacities since. Um, and yeah, when ApeSwap launched in February of 2021, uh, <laughs> just was like a match made in heaven. And uh, was there on the second or third day, uh, got to know the, the founders very well, uh, helped in the community, supported things out. Uh, they asked me to join the core team, which I, I did you know, very, very happily. Uh, and now I've been on the ApeSwap core team for over a year. Uh, and in the process, they're like, hey, you know, education's a huge miss. And mm. I've been a teacher in various capacities since 2007. So they were like, you know, what, what's your kind of vision or idea for an educational program that we could roll out? And then that's when we developed the Ape Labs concept. And now we're here. Wonderful. And, and you also have your own podcast, don't you? Yeah, I created the ATV podcast. Um, we have our, our, our new host is, is B, um, who <laughs> very, very long time associate of mine within ApeSwap. Um, and he has a very good media production background. So he was sort of a natural fit to take over hosting after uh, ApeLabs was rolled out. Mm. Do you have any future plans for all of this? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we uh, you know, we continue to support ATV and uh, try to kind of expand the breadth of guests. You know, we'd really like to get more non BNB chain, non Polygon projects on. So yeah, definitely going to continue to support that. Mm. And I can imagine it's quite a lot of work to keep keep all, all these like projects going. Oh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a dramatic workload. I mean, I love it. You know, I'm sort of a, a workaholic in many ways, but 
Yeah, I mean, with the the market's nature being 24 7, 365, and then having all of these different projects and objectives and stuff, it's a, yeah, you bite off a lot. Um, You know, when the markets go into really bad, like full blown bear market conditions, you sort of get more time (laughs) to to catch up and and reassess. And so, yeah, I mean, while the the market being in a terrible spot, you know, money-wise right now isn't great for the builders and the people working in the space. You know, it gives us kind of an opportunity to catch up because uh, during bull markets, that that really isn't present. Mm. Like being in control, like, you're probably not in control, but like being part of like ApeSwap once days like today happen when we, like Bitcoin is down almost 20%. Uh, is there some extra workload for you guys or does everything just go its way? You know, with with ApeSwap, we're, man, we we set out objectives and we work towards them. And, you know, when we're, whatever we're working on today, whether it's within business development or marketing or our product side, these objectives that we're working on today, they were probably set out, you know, weeks or potentially months ago. So whatever the price change is on any given day, uh, fortunately, you know, it doesn't deter us right we're still we're still uh in the lab you know working on everything that our our team works on but we want to make sure that like our community and our apes you know that they're they're okay that that we're still there to support them Mm -hmm. because these drops and uh these sort of rapid uh this rapid price depreciation that we're seeing like it can hit people really really hard so the biggest effect it has on us is we're sort of more alert for anybody who's having a hard time or or might be you know encountering some challenges uh but in terms of our you know our workflow and stuff it doesn't really have any effect Mm. um so the main reason uh, how you and i came in contact was because i attended the uh uh, the learning uh the uh of the chat you had over at tenancy um which was extremely informal uh i've never heard anyone being able to like capture my attention about like a difficult topic like this before and you really you really blew that through the roof um oh, thank you i'm flattered yeah it was, it was beautiful um so that's kind of what what i wanted to do today as well uh like roughly uh trying to to push that information out to people that because DeFi is probably not very known it's known uh within a very certain amount of community um but not like any broad way, I believe. What's your take on that? Well, you know, it's hard because because we are at sort of the forefront of technology. We're at the forefront. We're, we're revolutionizing finance. And this is what really wets my whistle. This is why I spend 55, 60 hours a week in the space because I'm very familiar with the modern financial system and it sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. It always blows up. It just lives and dies in this boom bust cycle that it's propped up by government bailouts and there's weird rules and walled gardens and it's just a terrible environment. Um, so when it comes to DeFi, because we're so just uh, at the cutting edge of everything, like we're we're ju- we're we're not just building code to run apps. We're like we're changing the way markets work, where individual users are providing liquidity rather than a market maker or a large institution. 
So if, if you gain insights, if you gain knowledge in the process of being in this space, it's, it's sort of a competency. And people aren't in a big hurry to spread that outward. I am. I am. Because I, I think that we're going to be in a much better position if we have an educated market along with educated builders. And so putting out material on DeFi and educating people on all of these different principles, because it's a massive sector. I mean, absolutely massive sector. And there's so many different segments within it. You look at it and you're like, oh, no way, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> but like, you're selling yourself short if you do that. Um, so that's, that's why we made Ape Labs, because we firmly believe in the tenets of DeFi, we think we can make it into a, a more fair, more inclusive financial system. And for us, we think that the best way to get there is to have everyone educated on sort of the core principles and fundamentals of the space. And that's what we try to do. Mm. Um, but DeFi can be like a little bit scary to people that isn't familiar with it because like you have to be your own bank uh doing all these uh metamask transaction um like first of all like basic steps like what is DeFi? yeah so uh DeFi is <laughs> in basic in sort of like layman's terms mm. um you know DeFi is doing financial activity without any intermediaries or custody when you trade your stocks on Robinhood. You don't ever actually own the stocks. Robinhood sells your order to market makers as a revenue stream. And so you're never going to get ahead of the institutions. In DeFi, if you wanted to execute a trade, you don't need permission. You don't need your KYC documents. You just go to a decentralized exchange and execute the trade. There is no trusted intermediary who can shut it down like what we saw with GameStop. And so it's a truly free and fair and open uh, financial environment. Mm. Like the same we see with Celsius right now, it's shutting down the withdrawals of Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a a wonderful example. And I was actually that that whole Celsius situation kept me up last night. I couldn't take my eyes off Twitter. It was like eleven thirty midnight, and I'm just scrolling through the Celsius tags. But that's a wonderful example, mm. Celsius preventing people from accessing their funds is a hallmark of centralization. If this was truly a DeFi environment, they wouldn't have that power, right? Mm. And all of the people who were getting wrecked and had their funds locked on Celsius and, you know, Chainlink, right? Chainlink, which is a wonderful project in DeFi. It's one of my favorites. Uh, we work very closely with them. Well, they had some of their treasury on Celsius. So it's not just people, it's also sort of the institutions in the space. And in DeFi, you're interacting with smart contracts. And so there isn't anybody that could come in and say, well, you know, funds are low, you're not going to be able to access them. In DeFi, if the funds are there, you can access them at any point in time. So they're very, very key distinctions. And this is why we say it's a, a more fair and free environment. Mm. And is it possible to do like, um, if an exchange says they have like, we have 100,000 Bitcoin and then they only have 50, uh, so they can't really pay out 100,000 Bitcoins. Is that possible in DeFi? No, 
No. And that practice that you're talking about is very, very common mm. in centralized exchanges. I remember we had a centralized exchange integrate our banana token from ApeSwap. And I was always skeptical of this exchange. Uh, I felt like their liquidity was fake and a lot of their trading volume was just bots trading against each other. So I was monitoring the market and I see this one bot. It keeps putting up like a thousand or 2000 banana for sale or something like that. And I cleaned it out and I go to submit the withdrawal and it was pending for three days and the exchange hotbit, I'll just call them out. Uh, I, I put in a support ticket. I'm like, Hey, where are my tokens? They're like, Oh, this, this token is under maintenance. And it's like the hell it is, dude. I work on the token. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> there's no way it's under maintenance, man. It's working perfectly fine. And so they, they jerked me around and jerked me around. And it was because they were just trading ghost tokens. Yeah. They didn't have 2000 banana tokens to send out because they constantly said, Oh, just cancel your withdrawal and trade into something else. If you want to, you know, withdraw something else, it's totally fine. So this practice of, of fluffing and lying about liquidity is very, very common. In mm. DeFi, all of the liquidity is held on chain. So you can go to that liquidity pairing on a block explorer and you can see to the cent how much money is in it at any given time. And so yeah. it's a very, very stark contrast. Yeah, I actually think uh, like an hour ago, I saw something about that. Binance uh, doesn't have enough to pay out what's going on right now. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, the in, in with Celsius. Uh, yeah, I don't mean to pick on them. Um, their CFO has extensive history in the, the sort of creme de la creme of TradFi businesses, the Royal Bank of Canada, Bank of America, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, he doesn't know how to operate unless you give him a 0% reserve requirement. This is how traditional finance is. If they say they have $100 million on the book, they need to have zero of that in cash to be able to operate. It's a massive scam. And I'm tired of pretending it's not <laughs> because it is. Super strange that we get into these situations. It's super strange that I still can go on. Like it's been going on for quite a while. It's very strange that someone just doesn't cut it. Right, right. Well, in when in March of 2020, the U.S. Federal Reserve told all banks you need zero dollars on hand. Your reserve requirement, what you're legally required to have on hand in cash, is zero. <laughs> so a bank could have nine, 10 figures of assets on their ledger and not have a single solitary cent of it. And this is totally legal. This is encouraged behavior. And when you start to contrast these environments between DeFi and TradFi, well, you start to realize it's a big hustle. Like if Chase doesn't need to have a single dollar of yours on hand, because they're loaning it all out, why are you getting 0.01% APR on your savings account? <laughs> You should be getting, you know, single digit points here because they're loaning all that money, right? Mm. But the way that the system is set up, the way that the system is structured, it's to make sure that the institutions are unaccountable, whereas the depositors are 100% accountable. And so that's a really bad setup. It's not ideal, is it? No. Um, like what other type of advantages is it to DeFi? Okay, yeah. So 24-7 accessibility, right? Since these are... 
So DeFi is an umbrella term for financial services running on public blockchains. And so if this is a public blockchain, you can transact, interact with your funds at any point in time. So if you go to a bank and you want to go take out your money, you get, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, nine to five type environment. Well, in DeFi, you can access it at any point in time. I was, I was making a large purchase last year and I had to call ahead to my credit union and say, Hey, I'm going to be withdrawing whatever, you know, $15,000 in cash. Do you have the money? They're like, yeah, give us a few days. It's like, what the shit? (laughs) (laughs) It's in my account. Why do you need a few days to get the money up? Right. And so that's another stark contrast is the availability of your funds. If you, if you have $250,000 cash in your savings account, go try to withdraw it. (laughs) Let me know how it goes. Uh, You're not going to get it. You know, you're not going to get it. And so availability and accessibility are are very are two really really key strong points when you don't have a custodian so someone holding your funds you don't need their permission right and so the nature of everything that you do in DeFi being permissionless it really is powerful and it's very very transcendent because you know, if you wanted to withdraw 250K from your savings account, you got to fill out forms. You're going to get a call from the government, probably going to have to pay a, pay a bunch of taxes on it. Whereas if you put, you know, 10 wrapped Bitcoin in a staking pool or whatever, you can withdraw it at any point in time. And it's no one's business, <laughs> which is the way that it should be. Because something happened where we became okay living in a surveillance state. Where, oh, the government wants to know this about you, that about you, this about you, why you did this and when, right? This isn't acceptable. This isn't what the government is supposed to do. So we have to put them back in their place. And the way that we do that is by transacting these types of environments where they have no control. (laughs) Governments all around the world can scream and pull their hair out and say they're going to ban DeFi and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But realistically, they can't. They can't unless they can take over the network and shut it down. They can't stop it. They can threaten you, right? But at some point in time, when you're being threatened by the government, you need to have some introspection and say, well, why are they acting like this? This isn't acting in my best interest as a citizen. <laughs> they just want to further consolidate their control. So, you know, it's it's really DeFi gives us a way out of these surveillance systems and systems of control that we see all throughout the first world and so i'm a very firm believer that you know one of its great advantages it it brings the power of finance back to people and that's probably its singular biggest advantage Mm. and is there some disadvantages to it oh yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely uh you, you need to know what you're doing i mean the everything that happens in crypto in DeFi, it's final Right. So if you send a transaction out from your wallet, you don't get it back. There's no one to go call and say, oh, hey, you know, I screwed up. Could you fix this for me? Like that doesn't exist. Uh, Security is huge in adversaries, in attackers and hackers exist everywhere in this space. Everybody's trying to get your money from you. And that probably won't change either. Mm. Um, So security is a big thing. And where, you know, you're sort of like random person 
living in a first world country, they're so used to being coddled and held and, you know, the government and the corporations, they rock them in the arms and they feed them the bottle. So it's a very unfamiliar, unfamiliar environment. And it could be a huge deterrent because if you say, oh, hey, FDIC guarantees my deposits up to $100,000. Oh, I have insurance, right? I have safety. Well, yeah, you know, you do. And I don't know that crypto or DeFi will ever be able to uh, supplement that. But when you talk about the banking system and FDIC, they print the money. They create money out of thin air. <laughs> There's no accountability. There's no auditing. And so, yeah, it is very easy for them to do this because at the end of the day, if a bank gets robbed and everybody loses a bunch of money, they just go print more. So it devalues everybody else's money to be able to provide these services. Like it's really not a net benefit, uh, but people see it like that. And they feel more comfortable knowing that the government or a corporation is waiting in the wings with open arms saying, oh, you screwed up here. Let me fix it for you. You just have to sacrifice agency or, or you have to see total control of your finances to us, right? Like there's always a catch and you don't have these things no um regarding security uh, i remember you mentioned that uh, in the um tangle c discussion um you said about like different links around uh you have to you shouldn't push different links you shouldn't use google for instance which i was not aware of um uh, the importance to keep your key uh could, could you explain a little bit around that yeah and i would you know if anybody's interested in this topic last week of july first week of august we have our OPSEC lab running for our certification program. Uh, we take this topic very seriously because you have to, it's your money. There's no one around to help you. You're on your own. And so you have to be able to secure your own funds. And so we spend a whole week uh, teaching about this topic within Ape Labs because it is, uh, you know, such a big one. And there are, you know, when, when you see a report from the federal government in the United States and they say, oh, crypto scams tally up to $1 billion in 2022. Like anything, the headline is meant to shock and awe you. It's meant to say, oh, what a shithole. I'll never go into crypto, a billion dollars in scams, right? Mm. Well, what they don't say is that Google's responsible for a good percentage of that because what Google does is they take money from adversaries and then they host spoofed or fished links on their ads. So if you go to Google and you type in ApeSwap, the first ad might be from an adversary trying to get access to your private keys. <laughs> it won't actually be our site. And guess what? Google's never held responsible. They aren't even brought up. If you read every single article about a billion dollars in crypto scams this year there isn't a single one that would mention google's role but they're front and center and i've been in this space long enough that i've seen google ban crypto ads bring them back and ban them there there are points at which they they completely ban crypto ads but they take money from these people producing phishing links at any time and so try to reconcile this right how how is how are crypto ads against their terms of service, but you always see malicious crypto ads being placed? Well, they're probably producing it. To be perfectly honest with you, 
because why would they approve these ads if they're against their terms of service? It just doesn't reconcile. So yeah, so don't ever use Google. <laughs> don't ever use a search engine. Adversaries are waiting for you to be lazy everywhere mm. in the space. They are waiting for you to champion your convenience, to say, I need a Tide button like it's Amazon, right? Oh, I didn't bookmark the D app. I'll just go ahead to Google. Well, guess what? You're wrecked. You're wrecked because you didn't proper follow security procedures. And it, it's a time, it, it's a time that is, it's a tale that's as old as time within the space. The moment you start to pr prioritize convenience over security and crypto, you're welcoming in your most severe wrecked moment ever. Mm. So yeah, Google's bad. Uh, private key security, like don't don't take a screenshot of your private keys. Anybody that gets access to your phone has it. Anybody that gets access to your iCloud or your Google Drive has it. Uh, if you lose your phone, someone cracks the password. Like it's you have to treat private keys like any other valuable. So your you know your great grandpa's wedding ring that you have in the safe, right? That's where the private keys go. Mm. <laughs> we don't spread them around. We don't treat them like a, a meme. You know what I mean? Oh, I'll throw it at the Google Drive or whatever. Well, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get wrecked. And mm. so yeah, security and, and best practices. It's hard, man. It's hard. If you're new and you don't have like a frame of reference, um, you'll you'll encounter like. <laughs> You'll encounter some losses uh, inevitably, but again, this is why we offer Ape Labs, um, so people can come in, and receive formal education on all elements of transacting in the space, and then be, you know, good to go. It's weird though, people having hundred thousand dollars worth of crypto secured on their iCloud while their grandpa's ring is locked in a safe, nobody gets to see it. It's it is. It's super weird, but man, you see it all the time. You know, yeah. like Seth Green was going to make a TV show about his bored ape and he lost access to them. Mm. <laughs> and now he can no longer make the show because he doesn't own the rights. <laughs> so don't be like Seth Green. Don't no. click phishing links that are emailed to you. If OpenSea sends you an email, your response should be, why the hell is OpenSea sending me an email? <laughs> like, so, you know, like for, for Seth, right? You know, God bless him. Uh, if he went to Ape Labs before he started to develop the show, maybe he'd still have his apes. Hmm. Well, that's not bad. That's not good. <laughs> no, but no one's, I mean, it, it just shows that no one's immune, mm. right? And so... When, when the big, you know, I, I won't say he's an A-list celebrity, but when the big celebrity gets exploited, it's no different than you, right? He doesn't have any recourse. I, I promise you, law enforcement doesn't care. <laughs> Every time you see an exploit in the space, the first thing the teams and the projects do is run on Twitter and we're going to contact the FBI. It's like, dude, the FBI doesn't care. You're just gaslighting everybody who was affected by this exploit because no one's going to lift a finger. Mm. Law enforcement doesn't know how to claim jurisdiction on public blockchains. They don't have knowledge of the technologies. They don't have dedicated professionals. Do you think they Imagine will? if you... Yeah. I mean, the SEC is, is hiring people specifically as like crypto cops mm. and forensic accounting on public blockchains a very growing and robust uh, sort of segment so 
they will get there, but it'll never be localized. You know, like your local police station isn't going to have a cryptocurrency forensic analyst. <laughs> Maybe your state has one or two. My local police officers barely have a, have a police officer. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like you can't look to law enforcement and they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to navigate the space. There are some very specialized firms that can go in and, and sort of backtrack exploits. But this usually happens at like a platform level. So if your lending protocol was exploited, that lending protocol would hire this firm to come in and do analysis because it's going to be a very expensive in Denver, you know, mm. 50, 100, $150,000 for them to unwind all of this. Yeah. And is there any ways or easy ways to like see that something is a scam? Like this is not legit project? <laughs> no, man. No, you just gotta you just gotta spend time in the space, and you have to start to build up your own frame of reference. And you need to understand how to apply fundamental analysis, right? Hmm. There, there are red flags, and and there are indicators, right, that a, a project could potentially be a scam. But I would say for anybody who has those types of concerns, you know, there's also a lot of projects that have been around for a while. They've sort of established a security profile. They have, you know, very public people. Like my face isn't public, but I'm always out everywhere talking. Mm. And um, so you can you can go more towards that. The the launches and the new products and the new services, these are gonna be sort of the the biggest honeypot for potential scams. Whereas if you go on Uniswap and you buy a uni, like, yeah, you're probably okay. Yeah. I don't think Uniswap's a scam. No, um, it's just because now DeFi will soon be enabled uh, at Aota, which is like the, the area I spend my most time on. Um, so I can see that there's quite a lot of DeFi projects will be popping up very soon. Um, and I, well, I don't think I know that the scammers will be there to take advantage of the new people that isn't familiar with the way around DeFi. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So then, it's probably should it's probably very good to to do like the basic education. And if you just see something uh, doing major promises, like do your research before you like put your life savings into it. For God's sake. Yeah. It much like opsec i mean we do a whole week on fundamental analysis in our certification course and then last week we had our so we have like our main certification schedule which is eight weeks it's very intensive monday through friday it's like any other sort of real school and then we offer flex labs which are much more refined in their focus so um, we had an initial coin offering fundamental analysis lab last week, which was really good. And it was about applying fundamental analysis to ICOs because oh, these are really risky, right? And so so how do we approach this? And so, yeah, it was a really great lab. And as the space grows and as the space changes, you know, new technologies and new ideas will be brought to market. And sometimes they collapse when, and it's not a scam, right? It's not malicious. Uh, but you still end up taking an L. So everybody in IOTA needs to be really conscious of this. Mm. And they also need to be very, very conscious of uh, sort of like hype-fueled projects. I mean, if you see, you know, 
there's a new a new D app spinning up on IOTA. And when you go and look at it, they've got 50,000 followers on their Twitter already. Well, it's probably all bots. Yeah. Right. And they're probably putting that out in front of you to make you feel more comfortable. Right. And so their behavior in sort of how they present themselves, those will be really good indicators of their intentions, um, whether they're good or bad. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're going to have you're going to have to take some on, on the chin. Right. As mm. DeFi grows in IOTA, the, the collective space is going to get hit and they're going to take losses. There's going to be collapse of D apps that were very well positioned. There's going to be NFT projects that run. There's going to be all sorts of bad stuff that happens. But like we have to take we have to take it. Mm. We, we, we don't get access to only the good in this space. We got to do both. It's a duality like. Uh, the yin and the yang, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully our good experiences and our wins dramatically outweigh our losses at the end of the day, though. Mm. Uh, another topic that um, I'm I'm not too familiar to like make an opinion on it, um, but I see a lot of people saying that once uh, IOTA enables DeFi, the token will go up no matter what. If it's a bear market, a bull market will go up because DeFi enables demand. Um, I'm not. Too, I'm not too knowledgeable about it to to say that yeah that's true. Like it sounds a little bit weird. What do you think? Well, if you go from having zero DeFi to having the full slate of like EVM implementations, and it, it, <laughs> yeah, it's going to create a lot of demand for IOTA because all right. When, when you come into a DeFi ecosystem and you want to trade, right? And so let's say you go to the Shimmer Dex, for example. Most of those tokens that you're going to trade for, when the market provides liquidity, they're going to provide it with IOTA or with a stablecoin. And so if you have Shimmer and you have two or three other decentralized exchanges that have hundreds of millions of dollars of TVL, and all of the new tokens that are launching up for all the different D apps, they're going and they're pairing these tokens with IOTA. You, you have a dramatic increase in demand for the token. And a good sort of highlight of this would be, you know, look at the trajectory of BNB up until January of 2021. Mm. In January of 2021, DeFi exploded on BNB chain because everybody was tired of paying gas on Ethereum. So everybody who was transacting on Ethereum migrated to BNB. Boom, BNB goes from whatever, you know, 80 or 90 bucks to over 600. Yeah. So yeah, the, the demand... Like IOTA now with their zero fee like structure. So of course there will be fees around these small contracts if the creator wants them to be. Um, as far as I've understood it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, presuming that, you know, the network needs gas to deploy all these smart contracts. Yeah, you have that happening <laughs> all over the place, too. I, I'm not super familiar with IOTA's smart contract implementation, but I can say if you go from having no DeFi activity to all of a sudden having DApps and decentralized exchanges and NFT marketplaces and all these other things, it's going to create a ton of demand for the coin that powers it all. Hmm. Well, that's cool. Then I'm looking a bit more forward to it than I did. Yeah, maybe now you're like, yeah, all right, let's <laughs> yeah. do more DeFi stuff, right? Yeah. Let's get more DeFi guys on the show. I like DeFi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, you also spoke about banking the unbanked, um, which is a topic uh, I've also heard quite a lot about lately. Um, since there is about, I think it's more than 2 billion people that doesn't have any access to traditional finance. Um, DeFi could solve that, couldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, when you go to a banking environment, uh, you know, KYC documents, right? And so like, just picture, I don't know, like Laos or like rural Vietnam, you know, like, are, are these people gonna like when they're born, like, are they, are they going, you know, are they doing a six, seven, eight hour journey to the Capitol to get all these documents issued? Like, probably not. Are, are they going to have uh, the equivalent of a social security card and a picture ID that Western financial institutions are going to require? No, they're not. And so the access to the financial system for a good for billions of people on this planet it's not there and it, it can't be there because it's sort of the, the ways of life are different and the rules and the standards and established practices. It's just, it, it won't work. Whereas that person in rural Laos or rural Vietnam, if they have a cellular connection, if they can connect to the internet using their mobile phone, that's all they need. They're good to go. They can start transacting in DeFi. And so, this unparalleled level of accessibility that comes along with the space and the, the sort of minimal hardware requirements. And I say minimal, just, you know, the way that mobile phones are, are produced and spread around the world, they're pretty accessible, right? Like I'm not saying everybody's gonna have an iPhone 13 Pro Max, but just a, a device with an Android OS where you could download Trust Wallet and start transacting, it's not a huge lift. And, mm. and so the potential for these people who would never have an opportunity to take part in, in traditional financial systems, the world of DeFi is at their fingertips. I'm a firm believer that, you know, talent comes up everywhere. And some of the most talented financial professionals in the world might not ever enter the space because they don't have that access. And this is how transcendent DeFi is. So that that person in, in rural Asia or rural wherever, rural Africa, wherever you want to go, they, they, they get introduced to DeFi. They see how they can access it. They see what they can do. They get fully into it. They start to build. And next thing you know, they're, they're running this super awesome D app in mm. the quality of life for them and the people in their community and everyone around them raises dramatically because now they created a D app that invites Western capital. And so imagine, imagine living in rural Laos and trying to build out financial services that attracts Western capital. It never happened, right? Yeah. But this is a very, very real, very, very tangible thing in our space. And oh, it wets my whistle. I love it. Mm. Um, I love the opportunity. I love the potential. I love to unlock uh, sort of our, our global talent reserves and, and bring everybody into this so we can produce the best possible product. What do you think would need to happen for, for like that to happen? Like get that broad adoption of it? Well, just, I mean, it, it'll take a little bit more time. I mean, you know, we see the way that different projects resonate in different regions. So Polygon, for example, has incredibly low fees, but it, it uses Ethereum for security. So it's pretty secure and it's pretty cheap. Well, lo and behold, people in India love it. 
And, and why do they love it? Well, because for me, spending 50 cents or 75 cents on a transaction, it's not a big deal for me. For someone in India, th that's a huge cost. It's a huge potential cost. It impacts their profitability. So if they can go into an environment where they pay one-tenth of a penny instead of 75 cents or 50 cents for a transaction over months and years, that adds up dramatically. Mm. And so, yeah, Indians have flocked to Polygon and they love Polygon. Axie Infinity absolutely captivated the Philippines. And they actually rolled out their own blockchain be because all of their users couldn't afford to transact on Ethereum. It was just too expensive. And so the way that Axie permeated the Philippines, the way that Polygon permeated India, these are the things that we need repeated over and over and over. Because you know what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander in DeFi. There's going to be very, very unique uh, dynamics in the different regions of the world. And what may be attainable and feasible for you isn't for them. Mm. And so this, this spread and the more dApps, the more platforms, they're all going to have unique selling points that resonate in different areas of the world. And it, it could be cultural, it could be financial, it doesn't matter, but this, this is how we spread it out. Mm. And it boils down to the first mover advantage, which you also spoke about, well, Tanglesey, uh, like, we're pretty early in this. Uh, like some people say, oh, no, I've been waiting forever. I've been waiting all the way since 2017. I've been there for a lifetime. No, you haven't. It's pretty still early. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Cardano, I mean, <laughs> whatever you've been feeling like in IOTA, it's nothing like what Cardano people went through. I mean, they were promised the most impressive uh, sort of race car DeFi platform the world's ever seen cardano raised over five billion dollars in bitcoin to deploy their smart contract platform years of development months and years of delays it comes live and it has a throughput that is atrocious like <laughs> i can't so slippage it, it's sort of I won't go into the whole mechanics behind slippage because it doesn't matter, but essentially you want to have like a 0.5, 0.1% slippage on most DEXs. People were doing trades on Cardano with 100% slip. <laughs> and so this presents a ton of opportunities for exploits, but they were having to do that because the platform didn't have the throughput to handle all of the transactions that were being requested to it. And so they end up with queues and people have to wait for hours or potentially days for their trade to execute. This is very unsafe. Yeah, it sounds like a $5 billion project. Yeah, I, no, it doesn't look like a $5 billion project, does it? <laughs> but the, the failures of the protocol, these were highlighted when the first Cardano's white paper came out. Critics said, this isn't going to work with the UTXO system. And they ignored it. Uh, they gassed their users up. They promised them something they couldn't deliver. And now you end up where, you know, the DeFi ecosystem on Cardano, it has a lot of bad habits. And it, and it has a lot of things that users are willing to tolerate that are not acceptable in a real DeFi environment. So, hey, if IOTA's taking its time, trust me, you want it. You want mm -hmm. it to be right. Because if you launch and you blow it, it's really hard to come back from. Yeah, and this is like Charles. It's Charles, right? In in Cardano. Charles Hoskinson. 
Yeah, it's very, very strange guy. He came into the uh, to the Discord of IOTA once. Uh, we were all able to chat a little bit with him until one guy called him something rude. I can't remember. It was like like a, like a childish joke, and that guy just raged quit and left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's unsurprising. I yeah. I don't know if you. Do, do you know that old Twitter thread where he, he like went on this whole Daenerys Targaryen type rant? No, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll send it maybe I'll send it over after the show. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I'll send it over. But yeah, no, I mean he's super pompous. But you know, I mean, dude, he's rich enough to do those things though. That's the thing. Mm. Like he got rich enough through that by offering a bunch of uh sort of like empty promises and false hope to the Cardano community. And I was actually a very, very big sort of uh, proponent of the idea of Cardano. I really, really like their method of decentralized consensus. It's very decentralized. I don't know that an adversary could ever take over that network. Very strong, very durable. Smart contracts on the network are an entirely different story though. Mm. Well, I'm not too familiar about Cardano, like, into that matter. But um, th- regarding yeah, that... Yeah, I wouldn't waste your time. That's <laughs> okay, I won't. Um, but is there any DeFi project out there that people could learn from, both uh, positive and negative? Well, us, of course. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, at AppLabsEDU on Twitter, uh, you know, we offer, you know, our, our curriculum is agnostic uh, we don't uh, sol- uh, endorse or bemoan projects as a part of the curriculum it's not a shill fest you know we we tr- we teach the sort of foundational concepts that you need to make the right decisions hmm. there's a ton of you know <laughs> there's a ton of these learn to earn opportunities and i i kind of want to give people caution about it because how many times like how many times in your life have people paid you to go learn something i mean if you're an apprentice yeah exactly and if you're an apprentice and you you know you're you're learning a, a trade or a craft and uh you know the person who's teaching you pays you a salary that might be one environment but when you look at education it's generally funded through taxes uh it's funded through tuition student loans these types of things so you really have to ask yourself, what is the quality of my education going to be if people are paying me to learn it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the goal? What is the intent, right? Like no one paid you to learn about World War One, right? <laughs> right? So why are they paying you to learn about DeFi? Like it doesn't add up. And so, you know, that whole Web2 adage, like if the service is free, you're the product. Um, yeah. If you're getting paid to learn something, there's a reason someone's paying you to learn it, and it's probably so you go use that service. And so that's not, that's an ad, right? That's not an educational environment, that's an advertisement. So all of these learn to earn models, they're just ads. Hmm. And if you wanna take advantage of them to get free coins and tokens, by all means, but don't think that it's actually gonna like replicate a real educational environment. No. But this, the crypto space in general really needs uh, education. Um, if you like, jump into a, a a Reddit, right? 
crypto Reddit. Um, you can almost compare it to football. Uh, like, you have to pick one team, and you have to hate all the other teams by all means. There's no rules. Whatever like sense the other guys are doing. If one team have done something amazing, they're still shit. You have to hate them. Um, and then people just refuse to acknowledge um, like good news if it's not from your own team, right? Um, and then just blindly, as you said, that the critics said that it didn't work with Cardano, but still, uh, people sitting in Cardano says he's going to take over the world, being the next world currency because they're lack of yeah. uh, education. Well, it's lack of education, and you know the tribalism of social media is really bad. And I can only imagine how bad it gets on something like Reddit, where people have their home bases, right? There's subreddits for, you know, the, the flags that they fly or whatever. And then yeah. they venture out to the great wide open and take shots and, uh, you know, scurry back home and get support. And, I mean, I would say most of the people that get caught up in like the tribalism and, you know, the one true king type stuff, they're, they're not really in the environments because as a builder right we have over 200 partners at apeswap uh, they're on three different chains and all of our partners are spread on three different chains all of our parts some of our partners do the same business that we do maybe they have their own lending protocol or maybe they have their own decks right mm. we can't have tribalism in the space to grow we no, don't that, get better. That's the thing, because everyone should help push the entire ecosystem uh, because then you would probably have a lot better chance to succeed. But as soon as a new person enters into whatever crypto space you want and you see all, all you see is like, no, mine comes the best. No, mine comes the best. Then now nah, this is a kindergarten. I won't be here. I, I would say that most people engaged in those conversations just want to fight. I mean... People get their rocks off arguing online. Yeah. Like, let's true. call it what it is, right? Like, people get a thrill out of this. They love arguing. They love saying rotten things that they would never say to someone's face. Mm. They they use the internet as sort of their shield to act the fool. Well, most of the people involved in those conversations, they, they really aren't, you know, in the space. Because people who are in the space know how dangerous and toxic tribalism is we've lived it right mm. if this is your first market cycle or you just came into the the market a few months ago and it might feel good to to throw a project on your back and be like oh i'm i'm project x maxi nothing can contend to project well it's all bullshit quit yeah. lying to yourself <laughs> you're, you're selling yourself short you're restricting your own opportunities right mm. So like abandon that. It's not going to get you anywhere. And it's not it's not the default stance of people who actually build these products. Mm. The people who build these products are open to anything. And, and you have to be that way or you die. Yeah. Hopefully that education that you, you're trying to push will reach, reach the guys that really are the tribalism leaders before they too late for them. They probably just got liquidated today anyway. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they sell on the bottom. Yeah. You know, they have no plan. They have no real approach to the space. So, no. you know, Bitcoin hits 22K, they bail, and then they buy it back in at 35 in a few weeks. Mm. Regarding the uh, today's market, what, what's your opinion on, on where we're heading? How do you think like we're going back to a two, three year long bear market with nothing happening, everything dead? Uh, or do you well, think it's like a March 2020 situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've been we've been in a pretty pretty heavy bear market for about seven months. Mm. Um, November, everything topped out, uh, and we've been on the downtrend since. Uh, if I had to guess, uh, we're near the bottom. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not I'm not giving financial advice or saying anything anything like that, but with inflation. In the degradation of fiat currencies, we only have so many outlets. Like equities aren't available, right? You don't want to buy into stocks right now because they're getting crushed. You can buy land, but financing is going to be hard. So you need to have cash. No one has cash. Uh, you can buy metals, which are always a good hedge. Um, but there, there aren't a lot of outlets from a hyperinflation or advanced inflationary environment, whatever you would want to term it. What we saw, what we've seen in places like Venezuela that have undergone hyperinflation is, you know, they'll, they'll cut off flakes of gold for haircuts. They'll, they'll look for digital assets um, as a potential alternative. So I, I, feel, I feel like this is one of the final shakeouts of the bear market. Um, and I feel like, as we go further and further into this hole of inflation, people are going to look for a reprieve. <clears throat> and so personally, right, just not financial advice, personally, yeah, of course. I, I, I would guess we're, we're probably a few months away from a rebound. And then we really, then once the markets turn around and Bitcoin, because when it turns around, it turns around quick. And, and let's say Bitcoin goes under 20,000 and for the next couple months, it consolidates between 15 and 20K. These are the opportunities for you, right? These are the opportunities where you, you have to be buying and you have to be entering positions in markets like this to see the substantial returns that everybody talks about. No one's making boatloads of money buying SHIB at the top of a parabolic run. They're wrecked. They lost every cent. Mm. when the market is in conditions like these and we're getting hammered and we're getting dumped and Luna's collapsing and Celsius is collapsing. This is where you need to look internally and say, okay, I think, you know, might have some opportunities here. Right. Mm. Yeah, I learned that the hard way the last time. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you came in a few months ago and you bought Bitcoin at 40,000 and now it's 20,000, you could say, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm wrecked. Well, you can lower your average entry now, right? Like who buys a house for three days and sells it? <laughs> well, we point. need to stop treating these assets as highly speculative, flip them around in a matter of weeks for a hundred X, because this is what kind of hurts us. Right. Mm. And so if you're a believer in Bitcoin and you think it is the best form of digital money available, well, if you bought at 40,000 and it's now trading at 22,000, you can really lower your average entry. So in a year or two years when it's trading over 100,000 and 
Zuckerberg is naming his goat Bitcoin. Well, you were buying it at 20, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in a pretty good spot now. So we can we can look at markets like this and you know we can we could go through max pain and <laughs> we could bang our heads and say, well, I was just what was I thinking? But like, dude, these market cycles happen. You can go back to 2017, go back before that to 2014 to now. Like mm. they all operate within a larger market cycle. And so to have awareness about that market cycle, to potentially plan entries and exits according to it, you know, this is a, a sound approach to financial management. And this is what we try to encourage people to do uh, within our curriculum. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I've reached the end of my uh, question list. So if there's anything else you would like to add before we end the episode? No, just keep your head up. I mean, you know, the, for anybody listening, I mean, if you're, uh, if, if you're underwater, uh, if you're down bad, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't feel bad. Uh, if, especially if it's your first time in the space or you're relatively new or recent, like you got to earn your stripes <laughs> and you earn stripes on days like today and you get really good dollar cost averaging opportunities on days like today. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. Uh, don't, don't get down on yourself and, uh, you know, have confidence in your decision-making. Mm, well said, mate. Uh, so thank you so much for taking your time to uh, to attend. I think the uh, community will definitely value this episode for for the knowledge that you that you're able to to spread among us. Um, and I hope to see more of the um, educational stuff that you had with Tanglesy, which I value a lot. Thank you. Yeah, we we had so much fun putting it together, and the reception and support from the community was amazing. So yeah, we we love it and. Uh, we definitely want to do that again and um, appreciate your kind words, man. Thank you. Thank you Fantastic. for that. Uh, yeah, very happy to to come in and, and do these types of things and, and share our conversation today as well. Wonderful. So thank you everyone for listening. Get behind, get left behind. Cheers.